All right. Well, um, hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this conversation on policies and practices grounded in love. Um, my name is Stephen Slaybaugh. Most of you know me or know of me, uh, maybe even just because of the email. But um, I'm the co-director at Interfaith Action, uh, and uh, my colleague, uh, Sid Moan, is the other uh, co-director. And we put together this 12-part series, um, which started at the beginning of the year on our 10 Interfaith Action Principles that guide our witness and work. Uh, Clark Gilpin and Bobby Gaunt, who are both here, were part of uh, the team that framed that, along with Sid Moan. And uh, we're very much looking forward to the rest of these conversations. Um, and thank you, Clark, for kicking us off last week on the Interfaith Action Principle of Storytelling. Tonight, we have the privilege of welcoming Bobby Gaunt to talk about um, our second principle on tenderness. And I'm gonna share my screen for just a moment so um, you all can take a look at, at what the principle is. I'm a visual person. So um, the second principle uh, is our various faith traditions inspire us to animate a radical revolution of tenderness in which policies, practices, and politics are grounded in a visceral loving connectedness we share with all beings. A radical revolution of tenderness. So um, here to um, give a brief reflection on this principle before we break into conversation is Bobby Gaunt. Um, I'm gonna do a brief introduction, Bobby. If I miss anything, uh, please please let me know. Um, but Bobby Gaunt was the first woman to enter Ford Motor Company's sales and marketing management program in 1972. Uh, 29 years later, she retired as corporate vice president and president and CEO of Ford of Canada, a 16,000 employee global affiliate where she was the first woman at Ford to lead a national operation. Since retiring almost 20 years ago, uh, Bobby has relished her renewed gift of time. She advocates for the importance of the ideas of leadership that is at the same time courageous and tender and thinking globally and acting locally. Bobby's a longtime activist participating in the civil rights movement, as well as a host of other policy related policies related to equity and inclusion. She is Interfaith Action's lead advisor for inclusion and participation. And we are thrilled to be joined by her this evening. So Bobby, thank you so much. And uh, I will turn it over uh, to you for the next five, 10, 15 minutes. Thank you, Stephen. And um, welcome Amy and Darlene, good to see you both. And it's always wonderful to see you, Clark. Um, Clark and I worked together on uh, this project and um, uh, consistent with my reputation and background around sort of advocacy. Um, when Sid Moen approached me about uh, this and said that in order to um, uh, perhaps participate with he and Clark in the development of these uh, faith framing principles, he said, you need to read Fratelli Tutti. And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> Remember Clark? I said, you know, I sort of promised myself a long time ago that I probably wasn't going to read anything that a Pope wrote. Um, and he said, well, maybe you should rethink that. Uh, and we talked. And um, so I will be, for, and Clark also encouraged me, I must admit, uh, whether he knew it or not, 
And uh, I must, I will tell you that I will be grateful to both of them because after I read Fratelli Tutti, um, I found it to be transformational for me in many ways. And, um, and by the way, I had quietly been admiring Pope Francis uh, in terms of his work and faith. So uh, that's the background relative to Fratelli Tutti. Um, Clark described the last time, as Stephen just did, that uh, that was the basis for our work uh, in terms of uh, designing our uh, faith framing principles at, inter at um, um, interfaith. And um, um, we began with, as Clark talked about last month, we began with storytelling. And I've always loved storytelling uh, from the time I was a child. and actually learned more about it in my corporate days in terms of uh, how effective storytelling can be in terms of um, leadership. And uh, one of the um, early impressions I had from Fratelli Tutti was uh, the way the Pope used the story of the Good Samaritan to tell that story and really to frame um, uh, everything that he talked about um, in the encyclical. Um, as Stephen uh, showed us uh, just moments ago, um, our principle uh, relative to um, a tenderness. Um, tenderness is a word that uh, has just really fascinated me. Um, um, in Fratelli Tutti, um, Pope Francis writes, and this was the, the chapter on politics. And as you can tell from my background, politics has been a big part of my life for a very long time now. And what Pope Francis wrote was that politics too must make room for a tender love of others. What is tenderness? It is love that draws near and becomes real. A movement that starts from our heart and reaches the eyes, the ears, the hands. Tenderness is the path of choice for the strongest, most courageous men and women. Amid the daily concerns of political life, the smallest, weakest, the poorest should touch our hearts. Indeed, they have a right to appeal to our heart and soul. They are our brothers and sisters, and as such, we must love and care for them. Um, you know, the word politics today, I don't think that if we just hear the word politics, we really think of it in the way that Pope Francis described it. I think it's been reduced to being associated with greed, domination, exploitation, corruption. Um, and what I believe Pope Francis challenges us to do is to think of politics a bit more nobly. Um, the way I've begun to think about it um, simply is politics is about how we live together, how we work together, how we play together, how we love one another. It's for us to take responsibility as members of one human family for the well-being of all of our human family. Um, it really is to be tender, but with a resilience and a strength that I don't think that typically when people think of the word tender, they associate those types, that type of thinking with the word tender, but there is a strength to it. There's a resilience to it. And, um, it's really about acting out of love and it's about respecting human dignity. And um, 
I um, every chance that I get uh, these days since um, I've read this and thought about it um, and had many conversations with Clark and Sid and colleagues at Interfaith about it and also my Episcopal Church. Um, basically, I think it's really important that when the word politics is used, we take that opportunity to talk about what it means. Because too often, I think it's couched in all of those negative ways that I described. And really, as it, we're, people are really talking about partisanship, I think, rather than actually politics. And I know it takes, um, it takes courage to do that because it's such a, um, that whole, that word is about, I mean, just involves so much passion these days on the right, the left, whatever. But, you know, um, um, when Pope Francis talks about tenderness, um, um, he is talking about courage. The other uh, point that I'd like to make before we open it up for discussion um, is um, before I became the lead for inclusion and equity, um, I co-chaired for a little over a year the Common Good team with uh, Vicki Schroeder at Interfaith. So I did a fair amount of thinking about what the common good means. And Pope Francis talks a lot about that in Fratelli Tutti, as well as within politics. And I really um, love the way that he talks about it. Um, he, 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 he describes it as sort of the measure of opposites when you think about the common good. And it's leadership that is both um, high-minded, um, but at the same time, interested in the good of all. Or it's the quality of life of the most marginalized, so everyone can attain their own flourishing. So we're talking about marginalized a few, but, but caring and paying attention and doing work so that all lives can flourish. Um, and I think that's really an important concept uh, when we're talking about politics to politicians um, to uh, really uh, remember and remind them of. Um, and finally, I'll just say that, uh, and not surprisingly, um, as Pope Francis writes actually in many places, um, it's time to step up and speak out. And to do that, it takes courage and generosity, generosity of spirit. So um, um, that's basically uh, what continues to motivate me and move me um, as um, we all work every day. And I know we are working every day to, um, deal with everything that the world is dealing with right now and unfortunately framing it within the word politics so anyway that's what i have to say excellent thank you so much bobby that was um that was very enlightening and um I think maybe to begin, we can just open it up to any any thoughts or reflections on um, on what Bobby said on politics or tenderness or the common good. 
look at that kitty. Yeah. <laughs> she always shows up, you know, now that we're living this virtual life and I'm just sitting here with my attention here, she shows up to get her attention. <laughs> One of the things that interests me uh, about this term tenderness, which is frankly had not been a big part of my vocabulary, um, but I've, 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 I've grown more interested in it just over the last few months as we've used it in relationship to Pope Francis. And I'd be curious, uh, Bobby about this, it, it seems to me that um, this is a relationship to the world that is very vulnerable. Right. Uh, if you're willing to be tender, you're, you're placing yourself on a par with the people you encounter. Uh, it's quite a different word, for instance, from mercy. Right. which implies a sort of power relationship. Tenderness doesn't have that. Um, so it's bringing an idea into politics that in some ways is pretty striking, uh, almost alien to uh, most political thinking, which uh, tends to be negotiations around power rather than uh, around mutual vulnerability. Um, and I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering uh, sort of two questions. Uh, one, are, do we have some examples from, uh, let's say American politics of, uh, of, of tenderness playing a role and then secondly, I'm kind of curious on the religious front, if any of you would have any sense of, are there places in the rituals of religion where tenderness is elevated as a principal part of the ritual? Well, that's not a rhetorical question, that's a real question. So how does tenderness work in the the ongoing life of religious communities? And do we have any examples of how it has worked in political life? Well, I think Amy just uh, posted uh, in the chat, she gave the example of Jimmy Carter and Habitat for Humanity mm. in terms of tenderness, which I think is a wonderful example, Amy. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, Amy, why, why did that particular um, organization come to mind? Well, I guess um, Jimmy Carter came to mind. Just yeah. that uh, word, tenderness, you know, he always seemed, and I was a child when he was president, but, um, and I didn't understand all of what was happening in the world at that time. He was always somebody that didn't really seem power hungry. I mean, from a child's point of view and now as an adult point of view, 
you know, he wasn't like this tough talker. He's, he seemed to have a gentle way of speaking. Um, also, I guess, as I'm saying that, I, I feel like um, President Bush, both of them um, seem to, to speak more with tenderness than some, some other po politicians we've seen more recently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just think the way you speak to and about people lets you lets people uh, be open to that tenderness more. To be vulnerable, right? To be more and comfortable I, with that. Yeah, rather than on guard, you feel like maybe um, some of your thoughts or feelings might be heard by someone that has that kind of um, speaking voice. And then, of course, after his presidency. Jimmy Carter um, established Habitat for Humanity, which has done so much good. Um, so, you know, that's to me an example that I can just see happening in many, many communities. I think that's a wonderful example, actually. I, I agree. I, it's interesting. In some ways, he has had the most remarkable post-presidency. Yes. Of, <laughs> of any president that I have experienced in, in my lifetime. Quite amazing. Yeah, it is interesting that you mentioned presidents. Um, that made that got me thinking about other ones in my lifetime and I'm not that old. So <laughs> the number is fewer unless I've seen a clip, but <clears throat> I do remember after um, the shooting at a, a Charleston at Emmanuel IME Church, President Obama spoke. Mm -hmm. And this was after a string of shootings and he 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 just wept and said you know enough is enough and you know this is it was it was a moment for me where i saw tenderness from you know the highest office in the land and i think that meant something for us as a, as a community you know about how how do we respond to what's happening. And um, we do look to our leaders, uh, uh, whether we like to think we do or not, to, to see what kind of example they're setting. And so often right now, it feels like it's it's callousness, it's toughness, um, it's hostility. But there are moments that, you know, that we've already named that made an impact on us for some reason or another because of that, the tenderness that they maybe evoked. Mm -hmm. saying amazing grace as a matter of fact he did that's right that's yes. right well and bobby has already mentioned pope francis but he he is such a gentle spirit um that it's that's refreshing to see and um really over the past maybe five years i've i've listened to and uh, read a few things also by Desmond Tutu and um, the Dalai Lama, the, the two of them put out that, I wanna say it's called the Book of Joy. It is. Um, that was just fabulous for me. And to hear the two of them talking to each other, um, I listened to an audio book of it. It wasn't them speaking, but it was two people that sounded like they could be them. And 
it was interesting for me. I, I kind of like right now, I feel like I don't quite belong in this little space where all of you people spend a lot of time thinking about this, but listening to them speak on this level and especially having been raised and most of my adult life in the Catholic tradition, it was really um, so affirming that other faiths also come with the same kind of um, hope for the world. Right. And Nelson Mandela, who inspired Bishop Tutu to such mm -hmm. a degree. Yeah. Charles, I thought your question about, you know, rituals in our religion that, um, you know, maybe have tenderness as an underlying principle was also a really great question. And I'm curious to hear if, if anything came to mind for the rest of you all. Uh, just coming out of the Holy Week Easter um, yeah. time. <laughs> You have the story of the washing of the feet by Jesus, um, which is an act of humility, but it's such an act of um, tenderness as well. And we did a service of that included foot washing on Monday, Thursday. And for me, uh, as well, the priest washing feet, it's this act um, a very tender act of tenderly washing people's feet. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing, really, um, if you've ever participated in that. If you can get past, for some people, the idea of burying their feet and washing people's feet, people <laughs> struggle with that. But once you can get past that, it's an amazingly um, tender, humbling, um, situation and I've done it with children too. Um, we had a reading camp and and um, and doing it with children and doing it with the children who were coming um, to the class. Actually it was Vacation Bible School. Um, we did both but it was Vacation Bible School where we had the foot washing and you know to be washing the, the children's feet of the community um, from all socioeconomic races, you know, just different demographics, um, and and doing that, it's very. I find it very moving and very tender. I did also. I experienced it for the first time on Monday, Thursday this year, and um, and honestly, um, between that and then the stripping of the altar mm -hmm. at the end of the service, the washing. Um, I, I was, I mean, I was just sobbing at that point. I mean, it was such a tender moment. Um, and then I, um, was reading the next day somewhere. There is a, um, it's one of the Episcopal churches in Atlanta. Winnie Bargeza is the rector there. And on Monday, Thursday, um, they go out into the homeless community and they wash the feet of the homeless 
and give them manicures. And um, I mean, it, it's just like, oh my gosh. I mean, what a wonderful, kind, tender act that is. So thank you, Darlene, for reminding me of that. And, and Bobby, when you were talking about the stripping of the altar, I had never thought of it this way before this year, um, but we included prayers for the stripping of Jesus, and I had never thought of the stripping of the altar. I thought of it as a very moving opportunity for the people who've attended the altar, but, but it also symbolizes the stripping of Jesus right. was crucifixion, and I, I had not thought of it that way before, which was very added to the moving of it. Yes. Are there any other rituals? I'm not a traditionalist, so I don't know. I think uh, from my experience, whoever uh, confession has been present, present um, whether that's in a more formal setting between, uh, you know, a priest and a parishioner, um, and maybe even some cases between members of a faith community, I've been in part of both of those. Um, those are really tender moments for, and I think it was you, Clark, that mentioned that um, tenderness requires vulnerability. And it's it's vulnerable not only to, you know, be the one sharing a shortcoming but I think also to be the one hearing it um, and it opens a space for everyone involved um, that that that's one of the things that I thought of um, when Clark mentioned it. You know, one of the, um, I hate to use the word things, but one of the um, behaviors that um, I think we we're all experiencing to one degree or another um, that can't really be described, I don't think, as tenderness, but they're really quite striking moments. Um, I was thinking, I don't know how many of you have watched the um, Senator um, McMorrow, Shelley McMorrow. Um, she was attacked by, I mean, uh, verbally attacked as a senator uh, by um, a colleague, a Republican colleague, um, in terms of um, accused of grooming of children, pedophilia. And she gave about a five minute speech uh, last week in rebuttal to that attack. That was hard, but it was so moving in terms of the strength of uh, character and, um, uh, just not only the words, but also her physical, uh, her voice, her stance. I mean, everything about it was, and she, I don't know how many times she evoked the fact, I'm a Christian. And uh, so she brought faith into it also. And if you haven't had the opportunity to watch it, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, it, give, it certainly gave me... Um, it strengthened me hmm. um, in terms of my resolve uh, to speak up and step up. And while it wouldn't be described as tender in a way, uh, when Pope Francis talks about the strength of tenderness, that it requires a strength and a vulnerability, as you've said, Clark, 
Um, she was a great example of that. Her name's, yes, Senator Shelley McMorrow. Yeah, no, I think that's such a great example um, of this whole idea. And um, before I came tonight, I had to look up, you know, what is the opposite of tenderness, you know, a dictionary sort of definition. And, and what I found was the opposite of tenderness can be toughness, callousness, hostility, or even hatred. And I think when we hear those words, we think, oh, yeah, that's that's what we think about with politics. Right. And that's what we think was going on with those faceless ac accusations against Senator McMorrow. You know, there was a sort of a callousness of, you know, accusing a colleague of behavior they had nothing to do with to score some points, to raise some money um, for personal gain. And so, you know, I think this idea of tenderness and in politics and even just in our relationships right now is revolutionary for that reason. We're so used to viewing toughness, even if we just take that word, toughness as the virtue, not tenderness. Right. Um, so yeah, the way she responded though, maybe there was some tenderness and just being willing to confront that in the way she did. Um, courage that that took mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know speaking of that it reminded me um in this chapter in fratelli tutti on politics a better kind of politics actually the pope begins with a criticism of populism which i think is uh, certainly relevant today but at the same time he endorses popular governments so he distinguishes between populism um in fact, he, I'll just quote it. He believes it's good to love your tribe, your homeland, your people, your land. Um, he thinks of this as social love. And as long as it's open to others, the stranger, it's good. Populism in his view is closed to others. It demonizes the other. It uses people to gain power for itself. Populist governments are closed, exclusive and physically removed while popular governments are open, inclusive of the other, and local. So um, um, again, going back, because I think part of what's going on today is this whole movement around populism or nationalism, individualism, all of that. And he takes that right on in this chapter on politics. And that's what is going on with the critic of Senator McMorrow. You know what I find fascinating, and I have no, I can't quantify this, um, but it seems that uh, many more um, articles that I'm reading, opinion pieces primarily, but um, but whether it's the journal, the Wall Street Journal, and I just read that just so I can sort of be aware of what the right is doing. Um, um, uh, but the New York Times, uh, the various publications, it seems that I'm reading a lot more poetry these days. And I don't know if anybody has noticed that or not, whether they actually quote the poem or whether they refer to books of poets or particular poems. I don't know if it's just me and what I'm reading, but it's like, because I'm, um, 
uh, I love poetry, so I'm attracted to it. And um, um, one of the gifts of COVID, I, I'm sorry, I never want to say gift and COVID in the same sentence, but one of the, um, uh, one of the, um, uh, when I was isolated for so long, um, it returned me to poetry um, in terms of reading. And um, I just find it interesting that I just am hearing and reading a lot more poetry these days in national publications. I don't know what that means, but it's just interesting. That, that's interesting because Bishop Porter Taylor's, um, I guess it was Lenten series, um, I wasn't sure what to expect, but basically it was two books on poetry by Evelyn Underhill and a collection of different poetry that Richard Harries, I think it was, put together. And it was like, I haven't sat for a period of time reading poetry before. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. Talking about things in the church. Um, on Easter Vigil, so Saturday night before Easter Sunday, we had <coughs> four baptisms, and I'm not sure that I've really thought about baptisms at, at, baptism as being a time of tenderness, but we had four candidates. One was a child of nine, and so I was, I was helping another priest, and I was holding, and so a nine, you know, a nine-month-old I held over the fountain, and she was having them lean over backwards and I always had people lean forward there's more control mm -hmm. I think, for the candidate leaning forward but when you're leaning back you're really having to trust so the father of the nine-month-old also had to lean over and it was like okay I suddenly felt the need to put my hands there just to protect him as he leaned over and then there was an eight and a six-year-old and the font just happened to be so high it was level with the six-year-old's head and it's like he's not going to be able to lean over this and it's like having to pick the, lift the child up and hold him over the bowl it, it it meant a lot to me um the other priest was doing the actual baptism but but i was helping these four people either yeah. by actually lifting them or just supporting them as they oh, leaned over and there's that vulnerable ability they had of leaning over the water right and and i was part of that because i was part of either lifting them or supporting them and i'd never had that well i'd always baptized before i'd never been the support person before but so that might have made it different for me as well but i hadn't seen that side of it before the sweet mm -hmm. moment of tenderness yeah. i was struck uh listening to the antonyms uh, that Stephen passed uh, through, I think the one that hit me the most was callous, callousness in relation to tenderness. And the reason I say that is that uh, I associate the word callous with a person who has disregard for the other. If you fell down and broke your ankle, uh, that's your problem. Uh, if your house burned down, well, tough. Callous is, is there's a harshness to it. Uh, and it, um, 
there's an individualistic tone to it. Um, I, I have nothing to do with your problems. Tenderness, uh, it seems to me, is intrinsically a relational term that seeks out the commonality between the two people or the many people who are touched by that tenderness. Um, and maybe that's why Habitat for Humanity is such a beautiful uh, name for an organization. Right. Uh, that it captures that. Um, and that, uh, I mean, I guess that where I was, I, I started thinking about that is that there are, are a couple of different forms in which religion can migrate into the world, world of politics. Um, and one form is the form we've been talking about tonight, which uh, is as a, uh, an affective uh, attitude toward the world and toward others. Um, I mean, this is uh, the side of religion that uses language like covenant <laughs> mm -hmm. to talk about the relationships among people. Um, the other way that re religion migrates into politics, at least modern politics, um, is as a set of beliefs. <laughs> My old uh, great uncle from Pampa, Texas, used to say, uh, like to say, uh, annoyingly like to say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. <laughs> and the consequence of thinking about religion as a set of things that uh, are basically doctrines that you either believe or you don't, when that migrates into politics, it creates a climate that at least uh, opens the door toward the callous relationship to the other. Um, this way in which to be faithful is to be uh, immovable in your adherence to certain doctrines is not a mode of religiosity that can uh, revitalize um, politics. It's actually destructive of politics. Right. And so there's a funny way in which uh, what we've been talking about tonight is, um, I mean, we started out uh, with the idea of, of, uh, of the revel radical revolution of tenderness. And to, for tenderness to enter politics is indeed a revolutionary act. Indeed. So I'm kind of looping back to the to the a phrase that was one of the first ones we used, that somehow or other, this is a an influence of the religious faiths of America on American politics that is far more radical than uh, the idea of, uh, of a sort of adherence come hell or high water to a set of ideas, beliefs, 
that you either hold or don't have hold. Um, and thinking about ways that um, that our religi religious rituals could could cultivate attitudinal change, affective change, um, call attention to tenderness, call attention to the covenant that binds us together, strikes me as, uh, as a kind of mission for interfaith action or, or any other public religious community uh, that we probably need to give more attention to. We do. We're, we're not talking here about a set of doctrines, either political doctrines or religious doctrines. This is the way it connects to storytelling too, now that I think about it. Right. Uh, storytelling opens up possible meanings. It doesn't close them down. Right. And uh, tenderness in that sense is, uh, is good material for a story. <laughs> it is. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. And, uh, and you know, to wrap up, I want to go back one more time to Bobby. You, you um, quoted Pope Francis, but uh, in his encyclical, he writes, tenderness is the path of choice for the strongest, most courageous mm -hmm. men and women and challenges us to ask, what if tenderness was viewed as a strength in our political life rather than a weakness? And yeah. I think our conversation tonight has really brought brought that out actually what's revolutionary is not meeting toughness with toughness, but meeting toughness with tenderness. tenderness. So mm -hmm. um, thank you everyone for this wonderful conversation. Um, this this yeah. time flies. Um, the next conversation we have is on the third principle uh, on human rights and justice with uh, my colleague, uh, Reverend Dr. Sid Moan. And that will be on Monday, May 16th at 6 p.m. So uh, join us then, but uh, thank you again for taking your Monday evening. Thank you, especially to Bobby for that reflection, uh, which uh, was clearly wonderful because it got us going uh, for, for, the, for these past uh, 45 minutes. So um, thank you again, and we'll hopefully- uh, Thank see you, Amy and Darlene for joining us. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you. Bye. Everyone.